Hey everyone, this is Mike Dunn. And I'm Janine Dunn. I'm Julie Cook. I'm Matt Downey. And you are listening to Rethinking EDU. Thanks so much for joining us. Amazing uh, listener out there, wherever you're listening, whether it's on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or what have you. Um, We really appreciate you listening as usual. And we are here in our mini series on equity and belonging. And we are chatting with our friend, Patty Hess. Patty, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, we are super happy to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Co-hosts, how are you all doing tonight? Uh, Matt, I hear um, there's a little struggle in the neighborhood busing situation in your hometown. That sounds like a bummer, um, but is everything going okay otherwise? Yeah, that's that's just the big issue. You know, the bus driver shortage is sort of hitting home, so we got to figure it out and get the kids to school and home, um, which, you know, is just an extra thing to juggle in the morning. And this morning they were late, uh, you know, And so I was late to work, so, but it's all good. Yeah, yeah. The bus driver shortage is like real, real talk out there. You know, Um, Mm -hmm. there were just an, there was just an article um, in the National Education Association's uh, like blog or publication or what have you about bus drivers and and substitute teacher shortages, which is really intense. And Julie and Janine, y'all experiencing any of that stuff at your uh, school at all? My own kids have, like they've had, they've had substitute bus drivers like nearly every day. Like it seems to keep rotating. So they, they keep on getting to school late or... I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's a little bit of a mess. And substitute bus driver, that's got to be a tough job. I can't eat it. Can't oh, yeah. Imagine. <laughs> Jeez. So we all giggle a little bit because we're like, yeah. never. There you go. We should, we should do an episode with bus drivers. That would be awesome. <laughs> no joke. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about that in the think tank. Remember, uh, listeners, you can subscribe on patreon.com slash rethinkedu. Join our think tank. Listen to our behind the scenes conversation. But first, let's get into it with Patty. Patty, so you hail in uh, the great state of Connecticut, and um, you are the director of pupil services. So um, if I'm understanding that position correctly, and the reason why we've included you on this episode is because you're working primarily with a special education population or the population that we call typically special education um, but your position is more of like a district office sort of position. Is that correct? Yep, that's correct. I'm the uh, director of pupil services for our school system here in Connecticut. So I oversee um, special ed for the um, entire district. So all students with disabilities um, are really my responsibility. My goodness, that sounds daunting. <laughs> Seriously, what a what an incredible task and what a wide range of students that you are probably dealing with. You know, I can imagine that you have everywhere from kids with Down syndrome or, you know, autism spectrum disorder or something like that to kids with um, dyslexia or other sorts of students. And all those students here are sort of overseeing the ins and the outs for them? I, um, we we uh, serve students from the age of three to 22. Um, so it's uh, all students, all eligibilities, um, and I have um, the students that are in district as well as the students that uh, we have um, partnered with some out-of-district placements with. So I have 336 students that I, you know, that are that fall under me, but, you know, as we talk more about inclusion, it really is 
we have 2,500 students because those are all the students in the district. Sure, sure. And yeah, that's a great segue into why we've invited you to come join our pod. You know, the last two episodes, we focused on equity, and then we focused on belonging in in classrooms and why those two issues in particular are super important, especially as our student populations become more diverse, as our students are looking to feel like they belong in their classrooms, and as um, things like funding and resources get sort of spread out inequitably amongst different schools, um, these issues around equity, belonging, and now we're going to talk with you about inclusion are really uh, some of the most pressing issues facing facing education today, I would argue. And um, I want to kind of get our listeners a little bit of a sense of you first, Patty, before we get into talking about um, inclusion and why this term is so important. I want to know, how did you end up in this position of Director of People Services and what interested in working with this specific student population? So prior to um, becoming the Director of People Services, I was, I was a uh, principal in a K-8 school. And I was also an assistant principal in a primary school. But more importantly, I started my career in education um, nearly or over 30 years ago now as a school social worker. And I will always say that I will always ever be a social worker and that my priority has always been removing obstacles for students with disabilities. So that has been my focus. Um, So no matter what job I had, you know, I always had those students with disabilities, you know, in, you know, on my lens, in my radar. And so it was really a natural progression for me. So as I was, you know, uh, taking on more tasks uh, in my schools and in my district, um, it just became very natural for me then to ultimately end up in this role um, in the, uh, you know, overseeing special education. That's awesome. And thanks for that snapshot. And also, Patty, I know that we met at Northeastern and uh, I would love to know, like, what brought you to that space? Uh, why did you decide to pursue additional education at Northeastern? That's a good question. I, um, you know, it was just, I'm just <laughs> being a lifelong learner. I just always, you know, wanted to earn a doctorate. And, um, you know, so that was, you know, had been considering it for a, for a while. Um, did wait until my youngest son went off to college himself because I didn't want to I didn't want to miss those end of high school activities for my, you know, for my child. Um, so I waited. And then uh, I had a colleague who had actually gone through the program that we had gone through through Northeastern and uh, she spoke very highly of it. So, um, you know, I figured, okay, I would, I would, I would, you know, apply and see what happened. And I was thrilled that, you know, I, I did that. And um, I felt like it's a very valuable experience. I thought that um, for me, I, like the people I met and the um, guidance and support that I received um, was very meaningful. So for me, it was, it was a really good experience. That's awesome. Yeah. I think, you know, we, we had largely positive experiences too, and I'm glad to hear that yours was as well. Um, Now I want to pass the mic over to Janine here to really get us into the meat of this conversation. Um, it sounds like you've got a terrific background for helping us understand a little bit more about inclusion and special education. Janine, you want to take it off from here? Yeah, thanks. So I'm really thinking about this idea of inclusion and going back to like the word inclusion, kind of like how we kind of analyze the word belonging. 
um, in our last episode. But, you know, when I think of inclusion and how I- I've gone into schools that say they are doing inclusion, but from my own perspective, uh, I would say that, that that's not, I don't see that as inclusion. You know, I've gone into schools where they have a room down the hallway on the bottom floor in a corner that's labeled special ed and they view that as being inclusion because you know kids with special needs are coming into their school um you know to 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 be educated and then that that counts as inclusion and i'm just wondering like you know what is is there a continuum for inclusion like what do we really mean when we say you know we're providing an inclusive learning environment um and what does that really look like in in reality so i'm wondering what your thoughts are patty oh yeah, you should have seen me shaking my head when you were saying all that, Janine. Um, so you, <laughs> I knew you would be. <laughs> so when you talk about inclusion, you know, the informal benchmark, students with disabilities spending 80% of their time with their non-disabled peers. Um, but for me, that's, well, that's, that's a, you know, an informal benchmark. It, it's not what inclusion is. So for me, in, uh, inclusion is belonging, right? So it, it means creating an environment where all students feel that the school is theirs, where all students feel that the classroom teacher is their teacher. Um, for me, inclusion feels it's responsive. Um, it's about responding to the student in your classroom or your school. It's about providing the student what they need. It's about validating your student as a learner in your school community, which is their school community. Um, and I would say also inclusion is about access. It's about providing the student with disabilities access that same rigorous general education curriculum in a meaningful way for that student. So when you talk about, you know, the, the, the special education room down the hallway, I would say the same thing. If, if you have students in, in a classroom and they're pulled off to the back table and they're not engaged with the teacher um, doing the gen ed curriculum because they're at the back table with, um, you know, an, a paraprofessional or um or, or even a special education teacher, but they're not engaged in a meaningful way with what's going on with the rest of the kids in the rest of the classroom, and they're not included. They're, they're taking space in that room, but they're not being included. So, so for me, inclusion is belonging, responsive, and access. I, lo- I love that. And I love that you mentioned how, you know, the idea of, you know, really when there's teachers, more than when teachers are co-teaching, I really think I look at it as a co-teaching situation, but I, I can see how, um, you know, you might have a regular ed teacher there, but you also have a special ed teacher in the room. And, you know, where those the lines kind of overlap that in, in our classrooms, we look at it as we're all students and we're all teachers and that we're, we, we all have a hand in, in um, helping these students and that our, our students actually don't know who is a special education teacher among every classroom. We all have special ed teachers in our classrooms, but they don't know who that designated person is because we all take a turn with, with leading and supporting and, and working and working with kids. Um, and I don't know, just my perspective. That's just, I think that's how it should be. <laughs> you know, that we're, we're creating an environment where, where all the kids feel like they're, they're being serviced um, no matter what, what their needs are. Um, so I, so I definitely appreciate that. Um, Julie, what do you think? Yeah, I'd like to get into what does that look like in a little bit more detail? Like, um, are there different ways of including everybody? Um, what kind of models are out there? Maybe you can talk to your personal experience about what you've seen in schools. I know you work in a district office, so 
um, the schools that you support? Um, what's working? Yeah, so I would say like, you know, inclusion should be fluid in my mind, right? So students should be able to spend time or should be spending time in the general ed classroom. They should be accessing the curriculum. They should be being provided with their accommodations and their modifications. Um, then there's also, we have to also recognize that, you know, the reason, reason a student is identified as a student with disabilities is that, you know, there is something, there is a gap there. There is something that that's possibly getting in the way of their learning. Um, so we have to also provide that time for them to have that targeted, uh, specific, individualized um, instruction. Um, and that may or may not be within the general education classroom because that might not be the right place for them to learn that particular skill. So that might be in, in a resource room. But I would say, like, ideally, students, you know, will be gaining their skills through their specialized instruction. Um, and the more that they gain those skills, then the less time that they should have to be pulled out of that gen ed classroom because they're gaining those skills, they're becoming more confident, they're becoming more proficient, and then they could spend more time in the gen ed classroom. So the goal should always be, as a teacher, is how do I keep the student or how do I help the student develop skills so that they can access that general education curriculum with the appropriate modifications and, and accommodations? Um, so I think if we keep that mindset, then that's how you should could we could and should look at the continuum. Um, you know, there's many different models. I mean, I know of five that we typically use here in, in our district. You know, one is the consult model uh, where the special education teacher is really doing indirect service to the um, to the specialized student, but more direct service to the teacher, really just providing support to the teacher you know, how would a modification look? What would an accommodation look like? Um, there's what Janine just referred to as the co-teaching model where, you know, the, both teachers, ideally both teachers, um, the special education teacher and the uh, gen ed teacher are sharing responsibility for the students. There's the pullout model, which is where, um, if I, I believe if it's done really well, then it's done where that targeted instruction is pr being provided with the idea of, of having the student spend more and more time in the gen ed setting. Um, then there's also the paraprofessional support where somebody is, is you know, with going into a classroom to support a student or a group of students within that classroom. Um, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but, um, and then there's the self-contained model where, you know, obviously that is not inclusion, that's full exclusion. Uh, so, but but there's, you know, in each of the models, I believe there's, there's you know, pros and cons. And I don't know if you, if you want me to speak about what I see in, in my district, I can certainly speak to that. It's that way you look. Okay. So in our, our, in our consult model, I don't feel that that's a, a very good model in our district. I don't feel that um, we don't, we don't seem that uh, the gen ed teachers don't feel as confident just getting the the information from the special education teacher, they 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 need to build a bigger knowledge bank, and so the so when the special ed teacher is doing that consult, they they don't feel as though they have enough tools in their toolbox to actually work with the student themselves. So that that model doesn't seem to help our students very very well. Our co-teaching model is relatively new. We've started that just in the last couple of years. That model is is definitely a model that is working better in our district um, because as as Janine referred, we have the two teachers also working together, and we're really um, promoting that shared responsibility for all students. So that 
that is definitely where we're seeing our bigger gains um, with the two teachers in the classroom. Um, our resource room model is the reason that that model is the reason we had to go to the co-teaching model because our resource room model we were we were over having an over reliance on it. So we were pulling our students so much from their gen ed classroom that that was becoming their primary placement. And um, so there we were denying them that that access to their gen ed curriculum. And what we were seeing in our district is that our students' um, achievement was actually going down. The more they were being pulled from their gen ed classroom, the more their achievement was going down. So that, that's not a model that, that um, is really working in our district. Unfortunately, it's a model we still have in our district, but it, it's something that we're trying to move away from. The paraprofessional model um, is, is another model that we tend to have an over-reliance on in our district. And that's because so often, again, I believe it comes to confidence, the confidence of, of the, you know, the teacher, uh, the gen ed teacher in the classroom and also the, um, the special ed teacher not wanting their student to fail. So they want to put um, somebody with the student when the student goes into the inclusive environment. But what we find there is that the um, gen ed teacher spends less time speak, working with the actual student because, they, you know, the, I think the mindset must be, OK, well, they have that person. So that person will help them and then I can go help this student over here. So now, so what happens is the special ed student, while they're in the classroom, they're actually not getting um, that time with their teacher. Um, so that that model seems, you know, the more we rely on that model, the less time our students are actually getting to spend with their classroom teacher. And then we also we do have a, a self-contained model in our school as well, in our schools as well. And that is just for our students that um, they they really just need that space away. Um, and what we try very hard is not to have not to make that a permanent placement for them, but more of. Uh, a, a safe place for them to go until they they feel that they are ready to come back into the gen ed um, setting. And most of our students in our self-contained settings are um, have a lot of behavioral dysregulation, and and that's the reason that they uh, actually use that model a little bit. Yeah, you know, I I think some of it has to do with physical space um, that you're talking about, um, and so that's like just a very basic definition of inclusion. If the kid's down the hall, he's not included in the regular classroom, and that can be, you know, isolating experience. It's stigmatizing, certainly. Um, I'm always amazed sometimes when I tour schools where there will be an actual sign like resource room, special education, speech therapy center, you know, whatever it is. It's like, who wants to walk through that door in, you know, a high school or middle school or, you know, whatever, any school. But um, I'm always amazed by like the labels that we put on some of these spaces. Um, and I guess for me, an ideal situation would be if there is a, a pullout place, um, that that would be a shared space that everybody uh, would use that space at one point or another. Um, and it could be for, you know, a special project or um, an extension activity and, um, you know, for some extra help if, if that is required. Uh, so to me, it's about the physical space as well. Um, I don't know if you have, you know, that same thought or. Well, I agree. And, and you say that and I and I, yeah, it, I can visualize every single school in our district that has the labels of, you know, resource room. Um, speech, OT, PT. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, we all, we all do it. We all do it. Yeah, we have these spaces. And I, I guess it's, 
it's not so much about, you know, pulling a kid aside to work on, you know, articulation goals or, or something that needs to be done uh, away from um, the general population. Um, certainly that's going to happen in schools, but I just have a, like a, a visceral reaction to those actual spaces. <laughs> like it could be uh, just turn it a little bit and, uh, and those spaces don't need to be exclusively uh, for speech or, you know, for whatever, uh, or OT or something like that, because it just, I don't think adults spend enough time thinking, what does it feel like to walk through that door? Um, and, and what do you, what are you taking on about your own identity as you do that? Um, so I just think there could be a total shift in how we design the physical school building. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I think. I like what you're saying too, Julie. And um, Patty, I'm wondering if there's any schools in your district that are doing any sort of reimagining of space to make things feel more inclusive. Do you know of any of examples of that? Not not space, not space. But I will say what, what one of the movements that we've had is we we've stopped saying that students have to be served by only special educators. So we are like, you know, what one of the campaigns that we've started is that um, the students with the most needs need to be served by the teacher with the with the um, most knowledge. So a lot of our reading consultants right now are working with our students with disabilities and our student, not students um, that don't have disabilities uh, when they have um, uh, characteristics of dyslexia. So we really started to make a little bit of that shift. So it, it's, it's, Similar to what Julie's saying is like, you know, other people can access space. We're starting to say other people can access the resources, which I think is a, a good movement. And Patty, you make another good point is it is true that in certain cir circumstances that students with, you know, probably the most needs in the building um, may be uh, paired with people who have the least um, experience, not that they're not valued. Uh, but you're, I've seen that exact thing where uh, paraprofessionals, people who do not have, um, you know, education background or something like that, um, and and the teacher thinks you, you're exactly right what you said. You know, all right, well, that kid's getting some attention. Um, but that wasn't the intent of, you know, that person being in, in the room. Exactly. So I like this idea of this co-teaching model. I think one of the hindrances is, you know, that's expensive. <laughs> um, what what other things what other kind of problems do you see like what is not working out there um what kinds of things if you had a magic wand would you would you fix oh resources definitely if i had a magic wand i'd make all all classes co-teaching classes um i also feel like the way we the way we look at certifications the way we look at teacher certifications because you know our 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 teachers go through the certification process and they're specializing in, you know, if you're at the middle middle school on up, you're specializing in math, you're specializing in English, specializing in science. Or if you're at the elementary, you know, you're going to be a K2 teacher or, or an intermediate school teacher. But we're not asking every teacher to be a special education teacher. And I feel like if we were to really consider, if we're going to ask teachers to, if we're going to ask people to be inclusive, we're going to ask teachers to teach all the students, which they must, right? These, these are all this, these school buildings and these, these schools belong to all students. And we should be training our teachers to teach all students. And I don't feel that we're doing a good enough job at that right now, because I feel like 
we keep our, we keep ourselves in silos, right? We have a special ed silo, we have a gen ed silo. So we need to bring, pull everybody back. Um, and if we could if we could come down with one certification, you know, if you're when you become a teacher, you have both. You you know you know how to teach English, but you also know how to accommodate and modify for a student who who's going to require that. Um, I think that goes back to the knowledge bank. Then we're going to have more confidence um, with our teachers and our students. They're going to feel like they know that student because they know how to teach that student. And I think that we're kind of missing the boat a little bit on that right now with our certification process. Yeah, and I think um, even if um, you don't have uh, that special ed degree, um, changing the mindset sometimes in the building where, you know, whether or not this is your background, special education, you know, this is your kid, you know, this is your responsibility. And um, that's a shift that needs to happen in a lot of buildings. It's interesting that we're talking about teaching preparation here. I think we could probably spend an entire episode or a series or anything in in great length to talk about teacher preparation programs and Julie and Janine, maybe that's another series down the line. But what I want to point out and talk about here just for a minute, if we could, is the IEP. And this is a commonly used document to serve special education students. And um, I've had many uh, uh, hot arguments with teachers and other folks about IEPs. And Patty, I want to hear your take on IEPs. So um, individual education plan, legal binding document, you know, uh, entered into under great scrutiny with special education teacher, general education teacher, parent, you know, potentially lawyers or mediators in some situations. Do you have any sort of initial reactions or gut reactions or any sort of hot takes on IEPs that you can share that, uh, before we get into the meat and potatoes of an IEP a bit? Sure. You know, an IEP, it's a, it's a legal document. It needs to be followed. It needs to be created with a team. It has to be, should be a team effort. Um, I don't think they're well understood. I think um, parents especially don't, um, don't, don't necessarily look at the grid all the time and understand how much time their student is getting um, both in and outside of their general education classroom. The grid is not always as easily read um, as one would expect. Um, and I think that what's important is that some people look at the IEP and they think that's the kid's whole education. And it's not. That is the specialized instruction that should go hand in hand with the regular education that's going on. Um, and I think that that's the missing point is that people think, oh, that, this, that, 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 that's the kid's IEP. That's what I have to be. That's what, that's what we're legally bound to, to take care of. But that's really not, we're legally bound to educate the student. These little pieces of the student's education have to be presented in a different way, but we're legally bound to educate the whole student. Right. So what you're saying is an IEP is just part of the education plan that a student really should be receiving from their school. And in isolation, the IEP is not... I would I would venture to say, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but in isolation, the IEP is not super helpful and uh, should be viewed in conjunction with the general education, um, you know, hit points for the student as well. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you look at a student's IEP goals and they're going to learn these 10 vocabulary words, is that all you want your student to learn for the whole year? <laughs> I mean, you, I would imagine you want your student to learn to read. 
Probably. Yeah, I'd hope so. Right. <laughs> so that's why that has to go hand in hand. Right, 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 right. So I got into a, a Twitter argument the other day with a uh, with an educator, which is a fun thing to do if you've never done it. Um, and I was saying that I believe that the IEP as a document should be used more frequently for students because um, individualized education approaches for more students is actually a better way to go for more students. And I would love to hear as someone who comes, such as yourself, who comes primarily from the special education world, and I don't, what your feelings are about that. Should there be more IEPs in the world? Should we use the IEP process as a way to leverage more specific and um, high quality, potentially, um, instruction for more students? I'd love to hear your thoughts. I think that's a, uh, I don't know. I think, you know, well, I mean, <laughs> I'm not throwing, not no, throwing softballs on this one. <laughs> um, no, I, so do I believe in individualized learning plans? Yes. Do I think that we should make sure that we're looking at each student individually and, and coming up with a plan for how they, what they need to learn in order to get where they need to go? Absolutely. So, so an IEP targeting those specific gaps, so an individualized learning plan would target the specific gaps. I guess I'm talking myself into this. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I just, I would want it to be robust enough because again, I think we still fall into that mm. the trap then if that if we, if we have an, uh, an individualized learning plan and we're only targeting, you know, goals and objectives and, and, you know, if you're familiar with IEP, right, you can't put everything into the IEP. You you're going to pick and choose those those areas that need to be uh, addressed, those gaps, then we will miss, again, that, that bigger picture of, of the entire education process for that student. Um, I would think I would, would probably want to see more of a, a progression, like a learning progression plan, so that we could maybe, you know, work with the student from, from A and get the student to the end zone where, where, having those constant conversations with the student and with the family about what, what the student wants to learn and what the student needs to learn. I would just not want, not want to limit it to these goals and objectives. And then we've done our job because I, I don't think we, we can rest on that. Yeah, sure. I, I think I see what you're saying that you feel like the IEP as a document can be a limiting factor for students when we're really trying to service the entirety of the student in a holistic way. And if we're relying on the IEP too much, then that IEP can be a little bit of pigeonholing the student's educational experience. Um, and I can see I can see that argument. I'm still on the fence about whether or not I think IEPs should be um, for more students. Uh, and, you know... Maybe we can address that over in the think tank. But I'm going to pass the mic off to Matt because I think Matt's got some solid questions here queued up for you too, Patty. Hey, Patty, as we think about, you know, an, an inclusive environment and how and the difficult aspects of that. And as educators, you know, we have one side that's that's fighting to make it more inclusive and the other side is sort of scared of uh you know, what that can all mean uh, for them, for their job. I got to do this. I got to do that. 
And sometimes what gets lost in, in the midst of that is, is sort of the culture of the school. Um, and so that's what this question sort of gets to. How do we create a school culture that ensures all students are included? Oh, it really starts with um, vision. And it really, I mean, I, you know, being a um, school leader and <clears throat> having been a building leader as well, it, a, a lot of it does fall at the onset with the leadership. So it starts with, you know, the leadership of the district, the leadership of the, the building leaders. Um, there needs to be that bias. Um, we need the bias for social justice. We have to value equity. We have to honor um, the right for equal education opportunities. Okay. You know, like when, when we think about, you know, where did uh, IDA come from, right? You know, the, the, the law for special education, it came from civil rights. Um, you know, it was separate's not equal, okay? So, like, we needed to bring, you know, we needed to stop taking our students with disabilities and not allowing them into our schools. And we needed to say, no, it's not our schools, it's your school. Um, so we need to get back to that, right? We need to get to that social justice place again. We need to say, hey, this is a human rights issue, um, that this, this um, these students are part of this entire community. And, and as a district leader and as a building leader, we need to honor that. Um, we need leaderships that just have that philosophy, that value inclusion, uh, feel that responsibility for all learners. So, you know, we talk about co-teaching, right? And we say with co-teaching, we need both teachers to, to feel responsible for the learners, but we need our building and our district leaders to feel this similarly. They need to feel that, okay, this is everybody's. Um, school and and we want every student to do well, not just not just our students that that came without a disability, our students that that struggle more. We need to find ways to help them do as do well as, as do well as well. Um, and we just need those positive attitudes. We need to have our our um, our leaders, you know, really value FAPE, free and appropriate public education, and really really value the least restrictive environment. You know, not look at it as, as, you know, this is a burden on me, but look at it as, you know, this is, this is what I have to do because this is what's right. Um, so that's, so, so that's, it really does start with, with the building leadership. But then after that, you know, we, we have to have the, the shared decision-making. We have to have collaboration. Um, we need, we need to educate people. Um, you know, everybody, they go to school, the teachers go to school, they, 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 you know, they learn about, um, you know, IDA is part of special ed, part of, you know, everybody's, um, you know, training, but they need to learn more about what a least restrictive environment is and why inclusion is important. They need to know about the benefits and the social benefits and the academic benefits of it, because once they learn that, then, then they can, they can, they can understand why it's so important. Um, it's very easy to think that a student is being serviced over in the special ed department, or as Julie would say, down the hallway, um, without realizing that when they're actually in the class that the students most likely will do better um, academically. Um, so, so it just really starts with, you know, having that bias for social justice and having that, that um, philosophy uh, towards inclusion, and then just building on it from there. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate the way that you're elevating uh, the leadership role and the things that that they're going to focus on. What have you seen as, and you've talked about you've talked about them already, 
but just sort of trying to get super practical for some, you know, school leaders that are listening and they're thinking, okay, how can I get started? How, what are some good first steps? What are some things that I can do in my school to make sure it's an inclusive environment for all students? What are some of the, the biggest practical things that school leaders could do tomorrow uh, to make sure that it's an inclusive environment for all students? I think the first thing is they need to become educated. Um, they need to themselves have some uh, professional development about inclusion and about least restrictive environments, uh, about academic and social benefits. And then they need to train their staff in that in those same things. Um, they need to really share with their faculty the why. You know, why are we doing this? And they need to to work with their faculty to understand that. Um, they need to provide opportunities for their faculty um, to offer explicit instruction, but they also need to provide opportunities for the faculties to collaborate with each other. So, so it's not just that you know special education teachers gonna be doing this explicit instruction, but after they do that explicit instruction with the special education student, they need to provide that collaboration time so that this, the special education teacher and the general education teacher can work together so that then the general education teacher can take on some of that explicit instruction as well. Um, so it's really just the building leaders need to model, I would say, for, for their faculty, you know, what that collaboration is going to look like, um, you know, really be very, very proactive about providing those opportunities for professional development and, and just start building that culture of, you know, everybody belongs here. That would be where I, where I would, you know, say to start that. And that's kind of what we're trying to do in our district a little bit. You know, we've been, we've been, you know, we started with, ex, ex, you know, professional development when we started with an explicit instruction for our, for our uh, special educators. But then what we're doing now is we're pushing out our explicit instruction to our general education teachers. So like what we're teaching our special education teachers, we're now also teaching our general education teachers. And if you if you think about a typical school system, it's usually the other way around. Usually your professional development is is attacking what, what's going on in the general education side and your special education teachers are just learning, um, you know, okay, what do I have to do to modify and accommodate? We're, we're starting to do it the other way around where we're starting to, attack some of that special education issues and then teach it to the gen ed side so that this way everybody's getting that same that same knowledge bank and, and hopefully building that same level of confidence. Yeah, that why piece to me is is pretty powerful. And I think that's missing in sort of all parts of education, uh, leaving space for the why. You know, we're just sort of jamming things down people's throats and we're just going to keep it moving. Um, with that why, thinking about that, especially with an inclusive environment, how have you seen that done well, where people are brought together and they're able to explore the why of this happening or the why of this being important? How have you seen that done well? Because oftentimes that's skipped within an inclusive environment and really in sort of teaching pedagogy in general. Yeah, I can't say that I've seen it well yet. Um, Honestly, I, you know, it's what we're trying now in our district. And as I mentioned, you know, we're just starting with the co-teaching model. We've only, we're only in year two of co-teaching. Um, so it's relatively new for us. What we're doing um, 
one of the things we're doing is we are highlighting our data. Uh, we're getting really good data right now out of our co-teaching model. So we're, you know, making sure that um, we're doing this right now and it's in our middle school primarily. And we're making sure that everybody in the middle school understands um, the progress that the students are making. And it's all students. It's, it's not just students with disabilities. Um, because this way we're, we're tr you know, we're trying to show we're trying to show that community that this is working for all students um, and that, that that's a really good thing. Yeah, another thing I've been thinking about in this conversation, um, you know, as I, I've been sitting back listening, I've sort of reflected upon, you know, my interaction with inclusive environments, with special education students, with IEPs. And in education, and, and I could be wrong, I'm just throwing it out there, I'd like to hear your, your feedback on this, there seems to be this tension between a general education teacher and the special education teacher, and, and the special education student oftentimes is in the middle of this tension because the general education uh, teacher is sort of fighting against not wanting to do more work, the special education teacher is advocating for the student, and the student's in the middle. I guess my my question to you is, why do you think this happens uh, so much? And have you seen any sort of uh, solutions to this? I definitely see that. I, I, you know, and I think, again, I, a lot of it I do, do think comes to confidence and it comes to building that knowledge bank. I believe you're right, is that, you know, the, the general education teacher doesn't, you know, we'll say doesn't want to do more. I don't know if it doesn't want to do I do think because they want to be really good teachers and they want to help students. Um, so then you have a student in front of you that, you know, you don't feel very comfortable with because you're not really sure how you're going to help them learn. And that that's that's a scary thing for you. Right. Because you, you're saying, OK, now now what am I going to do? How am I going to help the student? I don't know what I'm doing. Um, you know, then it's very easy then to kind of throw your hands up and say, well, this is a special education student. So this is so and so's. This is no longer my responsibility. This is so-and-so's responsibility. Um, and then you have this, the special education teacher who you know, is doing their best with the student. They want their student in, in the inclusive environment because, you know, they're, they're thinking that that's, you know, where they ought to go. And they're, they're you know, they're listening to Patty House is telling them that that's the right place for the student. And then what they're getting is they're hitting a little bit of that wall because now it, you know, that the, their colleague is saying to them, "Hold on, I don't know what to do. Why are you putting this kid in my room?" Blah, blah. So then, then they get um, defensive because you know, special education teachers tend to, you know, embrace and throw their arms around their students, and they they become theirs for you know for the duration. So then they are like, you know, they get a little of that, you know, mama bear back arched. And then now they don't want that kid in that classroom because that teacher is not going to do a good job with their kid. Um, so we see that often. Uh, so that goes back to why I am really embracing the co-teaching model, because that is both teachers sharing the students and sharing that responsibility for the students. Um, so that way, those students, all the students, whether they're students that are identified or students that are not identified in that class, are um, are each uh, uh, teacher's students. So I think that when you can get to that place, then you're not having those conversations. Then you're having conversations about how do I help this student or how do I help that student? And it's, it doesn't have to be a student with uh, an identified disability. You're just helping the student in front of you. Patty, 
You've raised so many really important points here. I think there's so much to think about in this episode, and I really appreciate you bringing all of this to the fore and really promoting this idea of inclusive education as a way to think about education in general. Hey, everyone. This is Mike. Thanks so much for joining us for our third episode in our mini-series on equity, belonging, and inclusion. And we hope that you've loved this conversation with Dr. Patty Hess, one of our colleagues from Northeastern University. As you might have heard in our last episode, we just launched a brand new series. It's called Pod Stories EDU. You can find it wherever you find your podcasts. And it is a micro-podcast, so all the episodes are under 15 minutes, and it is amplifying student voice. Be sure to check out Pod Stories EDU wherever you get your podcasts. Share that with your friends. And also hop on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash rethinkingedu. We've got a bunch of really awesome Think Tank episodes up for you to listen to. We promise you won't be sorry for supporting us at the $3 a month level. Finally, don't forget to check out our very own Matt Downing's podcast, Diving Deep EDU. Thanks. A quick interruption to let you know about another great podcast. Curious conversations with all types of peeps. Encouraging innovation, we are diving deep. Certainly education is what we like to speak. Fervent with dedication, now it is time to teach. Diving Deep, EDU. Thought-provoking conversations. Now, Every episode of Rethink EDU, we always kind of wrap up the the conversation with a reflection time, a time for us to, you know, name some of the things that we've been thinking about um, throughout uh, hearing each other go back and forth. And I would love to hear co-hosts what you all have been thinking about. Janine, why don't you go first? Oh, man, there's so much here to unpack, actually. Um <laughs> That's why I picked you first. You're usually like <laughs> good on your feet. I know. You know well, pick something. I got to I got to be honest. So this this brings back a whole lot of feels for me. Um I mm-hmm. I had a brother who was disabled. He had muscular dystrophy. He um we were kids. I mean, actually this was one of the reasons why I, I started to pursue a doctor and stuff like that just because I wanted things to change in the school system. But anyway, mm-hmm. um yeah, our schooling experiences were completely different in that he could not go to the same school as me. He had to go to a school that was, it actually was like an hour bus ride away. He rode on a separate bus, went to a separate school where they could, they could service kids with special needs, you know? Um, it, which interesting. Yeah. yeah. Which meant that he didn't get to go to school with our neighborhood kids. You know, he didn't really have the opportunity to make connect and make friends with them. He got home later than everybody else and, you know, all this other stuff. And, uh, finally, uh, in high school, though, we were able to go to the same school, and um, that was an eye-opening experience for me. And that's this is really why I ended up getting into education. I saw, I saw him sitting in that room down the hall, <laughs> and uh, just with other kids that had disabilities, and they were never mixed in with the other kids for the most part, and. Um, you know, he's in there doing like coloring and I, the one, I remember one day I just walked into that classroom. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, you shouldn't be just doing coloring pages. You have, uh, there's other things that you can be, do- I was so upset. And, um, <clears throat> and then, you know, just other times like seeing him at the lunch table, sitting all alone and not having any friends and like, like the system failed him because there were, 
he didn't have any friends because he didn't go to the same school as them and stuff, you know, just anyway. Uh, so this whole conversation is really making me think about my brother and just how, um, how hopeful I am and so, so blessed I am to actually be in the school that I, where I'm at, where inclusion is a focal point. And when we say inclusion, we mean inclusion and that we have the, the supports in place to pull it off. I think that's also key is being able to, you know, to pull off inclusion. I don't, I don't think it's easy. You can't say like when you just stick one teacher in a classroom and you say, oh yeah, let's do inclusion. Like uh, it, it, that is almost, you're setting them up for failure. You have to have the proper support in place in order to be able to pull it off. Um, and I think that that's something that we do really well at the the school where I'm at. And um, yeah, so I just think we've we've come a long way. Um, when I really think back on the journey that that I've had in the field of education, and when I think of that that classroom down the hall with my brother in it, and here I am teaching at a fully inclusive school, um, I I can I am thankful for the changes that have that I that I have seen in my lifetime as an educator. Dang, that's deep, Janine. <laughs> Sorry, I told I told you it was. It brings up like all these feels. That's why I wasn't like jumping in because I was. Had all the, all these thoughts coming back, but yeah, no, I really appreciate the conversation, and I appreciate Patty's um, just enlightenment of of everything involved with special ed and and inclusion, and um, I really wish you could come to Pennsylvania, Patty. <laughs> <laughs> Julie, what about you? What's this bringing up for you? Oh, again, I, I could probably talk for an hour, but I'll keep it brief. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about something Patty had said, um, and really how many um, good intentions are out there that just seem to in practice. So Matt was talking about the why, like I'm thinking about the how, you know, how we implement things, even like um, things that we on the surface are all about trying to include kids, um, like PBIS and RTI and SAP teams and all of these structures that are put in place and resource rooms and all of this stuff um, designed to support kids. Um, but what is the end result with the sorting and the labeling and really the, the isolation and the separating? Um, sometimes in practice, man, it seems like we get it wrong. Like um, I'm thinking about like remediation. Like I think one of the, ideas I have for like an article someday is about the failed model of remediation. Like, I just don't think that I've ever seen it work. Like, you know, have you ever seen a kid? Um, it's rare if it does happen. I can think of a couple, but where the minute the kid starts to fall, we start patching up holes, like the kid's a piece of drywall and we're putting the patchwork in there, you know, it just doesn't seem to ever work. Um, so thinking about instead of remediation, like turning that and getting the kid ready for the next thing, um, that acceleration model, um, I don't know, that's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about all of the things that we try to do um, in this desperate attempt to include people. Um, sometimes we get it wrong. And I just think the end result, uh, it's limiting. You know, it really it really is. And I And I go back to another thing that Patty said, like, for regular ed teachers, I'm a regular ed teacher. Um, you know, this is my work. You know, this is, you know, where um, I come to education, where it's it's not just, you know, clean up in aisle nine, you know, <laughs> it's, this is my student too. You know, so I think that whole dynamic between the regular ed, special ed teacher 
Um, that just has to change. Matt, what about you? Yeah, I think providing you know extensive time of training uh, to all staff, not just the special special education staff, but all staff, and then uh, providing space and time for them to discuss and come to that why I think is is really powerful. Even you know I, I find either you know information is just given to special ed teachers or it's just given to general education teachers. Uh, it's done too quickly. And then there's no time for discussion. Uh, there's no time to process it. There's no time to reflect. There's no time to discuss. There's no time to collaborate and come together as a team. And then they want, uh, you know, these two different teachers to work as a team. Uh, but there's no time for that. Uh, so, yeah, that's one of the many things that, that have been really helpful. Yeah, I think for me, I'm still kind of mulling over whether I think the IEP is a good idea for every student. In some cases... I think that um, the legally binding nature of the IEP is important because sometimes schools just leave kids behind and there's no kind of ramification for that. And I think particularly for students of color who are from under-resourced communities, who are from families who need to work two and three jobs in order to pay rent, um, to keep food on the table, those kids are the ones that are getting left behind more than the other kids. And those kids are the ones that need more people looking out for them when it comes to their educational processes. And yet there's no mechanism there in place for looking after those kids. So does that mean that we should use the IEP as a tool to make sure that these kids are really getting what they need? And I don't know that I have the right answer to that question. I think the IEP, as Hattie has pointed out, can be a limiting document in and of itself. And it also can be a document that requires a whole lot of resources from schools and a process that requires a whole lot of resources from schools. And schools don't have a whole lot of resources. And so I'm wondering, you know, whether or not it's an equitable approach to dump more resources into constructing an IEP for students. Um, when those resources could be used for for other things at already resource depleted schools, so there's I have lots of questions around that, and I you know look forward to hashing that all out in the think tank with you all. But before we go there, Patty, what are your reflections on this conversation? I, did, I mean, my head is spinning because <laughs> you know it, it, this is obviously my work, this is my passion, and you know this is my my struggle every single day. Um, so for me, I just, you know, I just, you know, Matt asked, you know, the why and, you know, the, you know, for me, this is my why this is, you know, this is my, I said at the onset, 30 years, I've been trying to remove obstacles for students with disabilities. And I feel like um, not being included is a huge obstacle. So, you know, so you guys just really stirred me, you got me all stirred up. I don't think I'm going to bed tonight. <laughs> so. So, you know, for me, it's just, it, it's the, it's the work is worth it. Um, you know, you have, we have to continue. We have to, we have to um, pave the way for these students. Uh, this is, you know, this is, it's, 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 it's all about morality at this point. We really have to make sure that we're going, doing right for all students. And I agree with you, Mike. Um, you know, we do, we do leave students behind and we have to address how we leave them behind. Uh, but that's all students. 
So I, you know, I, 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 I say this at my work all the time is, you know, we have to be responsive to all students in our classrooms. You know, just if we look at every single student and say, you were mine, I, I'm, I'm here for you. That, that, that right there is, is, is a way to, to start looking at that. Um, but once we start putting kids in silos and once we start sorting them and saying, oh, you're here, you're there, that's when we lose it because now we don't own, we don't own that whole student. So uh, for me, it, it's, it's about all students and about, it's about ownership. Right on, right on. Yeah, Patty, I, I so appreciate your insights here. Um, and we always end our episodes with a segment called Plugs, where we offer our guest and our co-hosts time to plug something. Co-hosts, guess what? I brought a plug this week. Aren't y'all excited? You know you want to hear about my plug. Well, my plug this week is this 3D rendering tool that I've been playing around with. It allows you to create um, like... 3D uh, home sketches and provides a whole lot of just sort of like interior decoration and design um, tools. And it's totally for free. It's called Home by Me. And you can go to home.by.me and sign up for an account. I've created two really kind of fun 3D renderings of homes that I would love to build one day for myself or for all my friends or whomever. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of what um, what I want to plug. It's super fun. You can definitely get kids engaged in the process of home design and dimension. Patty, let's give you a chance to plug something that you're reading or something you're listening to or something you'd like to share with our audience. You know, I don't have a plug as much as I just have a shout out. And I, I really just, I just want to say to anybody who's listening, you know, if you're working on behalf of students with disabilities and, and desperately trying to, to change the culture in your school and, and to create a more inclusive um, culture, then I just want to shout out to you because you're making a difference. The work is hard, but the work is worth it. So just thank you. So I think what you're saying is you want to plug all teachers out there that are working to be inclusive in their efforts. I call them inclusion champions. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Patty, if you could just buy up the domain inclusionchampions.com and we will, uh, you know, put a web, put a, a basic website out there, click on inclusionchampions.com and get a free donut sent to your school or something like that. I would love it. <laughs> well, Dr. Patty Hess, it's been a pleasure here on uh, our podcast. We've loved chatting with you. Listeners, thank you for joining us. We hope that you've taken something really great away from this conversation with Patty and our last two conversations in our mini series on equity, belonging, and inclusion. We know that these episodes have been super nourishing for us as a, as a co-host team and for our guests, and we hope that they've been nourishing for you. We hope that you also will continue to support our podcast at patreon.com slash rethinkingedu, and you get access to our think tank for three bucks a month. Super cheap, super worth it. Listeners, we love you. We appreciate you and keep rethinking edu.